great to have the choir back. Thank you so very much for leading us in worship. We look forward to the rest of this month, this fall, all that's going to be taking place. Take your Bibles, if you would, and find Romans chapter 9, verses 14 through 26 will be our passage for today. It is one of the great sights that I have on Sunday morning, particularly for some of you who come early, uh, that uh, sometimes I see you, you have uh, looked in your Bible, you've looked to find the Bible passage for today. I just assume if you're on your smartphone or tablet, that's exactly what you're doing also. may not always be the case. How many of you had a hard time finding Romans chapter 19 this morning? Thank you so much. I get a witness. Yeah, we're in Romans chapter 9. I like to blame somebody else, but uh, I wrote it, I approved it, and all that kind of stuff. So uh, it is not the first, nor it will be the last mistake that I made. It's right next to Hezekiah, though, you'll find Romans chapter 19. <laughs> Romans chapter 9, verses 14 through 26 are the verses that we will be reading. So we continue to look at this particular section of Romans, Romans uh, 8, 9, 10, 11, and uh, talk about not just another nation. This now is the Word of God. Would you stand, please, in honor of it? Romans chapter 9 and verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the Scripture says... To Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, old man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out the same lump, one vessel for honorable use, another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy, which He has prepared beforehand for glory? Even us whom He has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, as indeed he says in Hosea, Those who are not my people I will call my people. In her who was not beloved I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, You are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. And you may be seated. I want to introduce you to a college student I know. He's not a college student anymore, but he used to be a part of a college Bible study that I taught a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. But we'll talk about him as if he's a college student today. Tall, lanky college student. He always wore what I call Jesus sandals. Uh, very intelligent, hates country music, does like alternative music, though I'm not sure exactly what that is, but loves to talk about and ask questions about things in life, and in particularly loves to talk about and ask questions about the Bible. Whenever I was going to be teaching Bible study that I knew he was going to be present, I was going to be doubly prepared because I knew that he was going to be asking questions. Some of you that have taught Bible study, you know somebody's going to be there that might ask questions, so you want to be ready for that particular thing. But he always would come to my office and want to talk about some of these things and issues about, and I always wondered why he wanted to come and talk to me. Did he think I was some wise sage that would be able to help enlighten the 
question he had about the cosmos or answers in the universe? Or was I just somebody that would listen? Maybe I was there. Or was it because he just wanted to blow my mind? I really think it probably was the latter. But on more than one occasion, he came and he asked the particular question that has to do with the passage that we have read. Although he quoted, as Paul did here, he could quote from Exodus, and he would quote the part to where it says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And then he'd ask me the question, he said, Brother Jeff, does God know what's going to happen before it, gonna, before it happens? I say, well, sure, he's God, he knows that. And then he would ask, he said, if God knows it's going to happen before he, it happens, and he chooses to harden some people's hearts, and would then would it be if God already knows it's going to happen before it's happened, then can we really be able to make a choice? Do we really have free will? Because no matter what we do, we cannot change what God already knows. Can we? And I'd look at him with a blank stare on my face, much like you're doing now. So y'all do pretty well in asking that. This morning, you've all come to church with different things on your mind, maybe a burden on your heart. Maybe perhaps you had a rough morning and your house is like our house sometimes on Sunday morning. Satan comes to visit. And things don't always go well on Sunday morning, perhaps. Or maybe you broke a nail or had a run in your hose. I hate it when that happens. And you barely scarfed down breakfast. Or maybe you really had a rough had rough things happening this week. The last thing you're worried about is you rushed into God's house this morning. If God hardened Pharaoh's heart, what does that mean to you? Well, I've got good news for you. First of all, that's not all we're going to talk about this morning. And if you've made it here this morning, and you are because you're here, you've come to the right place, and we're glad that you're here. But also, it's, we're going to discuss this morning more about how much God cares for us and cares for this nation that we call God's people. But I do, however, want you and I to understand why we believe in the sovereignty of God. Why we believe in God's choices and in God's purposes because He is a holy, loving God. This uh, passage does not so much challenge our intellect as it should strengthen our belief and our understanding. And Paul does anticipate questions that his readers, even his readers such as us, might be asking. Early in this chapter, Paul talks about what we call the doctrine of election. We can conclude that if we are saved, it is because God has chosen to do so. He's taken us from a pathway of destruction, and you've become children of God because of His amazing grace. And we've been able to respond in faith. Salvation is God's doing. If someone is lost, well, it's of their own doing. Paul's questions continue to answer questions about the nation of Israel also, and why has God chosen the nation of Israel? What about other nations? And what about those of us, people like us who are not Jewish? We believe today that we are God's chosen people. We are the church. We're a nation of believers in the body of Christ. We might ask, why has God chosen us or allowed us to be saved and born again members of His family? Now, God has made us all different and unique. Some of us are probably more different than others, but God has a unique stamp on each of our lives. And the truth is, most people are not satisfied complete with, with how God has made them unique. If you're happy with every way in which God has created you physically and attitude and outlook and personality, I would think that you're probably among the minority. At the most... People become accepting of who they are, but we probably all wish we were a little bit taller, a little bit smarter, a little bit thinner, more outgoing, or something. Now, many of these things we may can improve on, but God has made you like you are for a reason. Not the sinful part, but I believe that this passage helps us to understand why that is so. But before we can understand about ourselves, 
we must understand some things about God and some things that this passage tells us about our Lord. So if you've got your notes there, you may want to follow through with writing some of these things down or following along. But we'll talk about four unfailing truths about our God. First of all, we know that God has a plan. God has a plan. Paul says in verse 20, who are we to argue with God? If it is of God, then why question Him or how we are made? Then he asked the question, would the clay say to the potter, why have you made me like this? No, the potter has the right to make the pot ornamental or not, decorative or not, even useful or not. In other words, the creation has no right to question the Creator. God is God all by Himself with or without our approval. We are the clay, He is the potter, and we are the work of His hands. We are the clay, He is the potter, we are the work of His hands. Romans 9, 10, 11, all of these chapters, not Romans 19, 20 and 21, but 9, 10, 11 are about Israel's past, present, and future. So Paul quotes a lot of Old Testament scripture. He uses what God says to Moses, in fact, in this particular passage, in one part to help his argument. Verse 15 that we read earlier, it says, I will have mercy, God speaking, I have mercy on whom I have mercy, I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. This is right after the chapter where Moses has come down from the mountains. And he's received the Ten Commandments. We've talked about some of this last week as part of the illustration in this chapter. And they had made the golden calf. And almost on the spot, after God calls all the people who will come to him, he kills 3,000 Israelites. Now, there were many, many, many more. And they had all sinned. They all perhaps deserved the punishment, yet only, perhaps we might say, 3,000 died that day. And there was no indication that these were the ones who were more sinful perhaps than the others who were there. In fact, you remember Aaron was the one who fashioned the golden calf. And you might remember when Moses questioned Aaron about the calf, Moses, Aaron said, he lied about it, and he said, well, he said, I threw the gold into the fire, and poof, this calf came out. Now, that might have been exactly the way it was said, but that's a paraphrase, and pretty close, actually, to what he said took place. Well... He was, Aaron was spared. And it's in the very next chapter in Exodus that's quoted here in verse 15 of Romans chapter 9 when he says, I have mercy on whom I have mercy. I have compassion on whom I have compassion. The only answer is that we can trust God and know that He is merciful. But only God can make those kind of choices because only He is holy and only He is righteous. We might like to make many choices for ourselves when things don't seem fair or they just seem just inconvenient. We question God, perhaps, or try to take matters into our own hands. We tend to forget that God has a plan always. No matter what life throws our way, we can know that God has a plan. We don't have to look very far, perhaps, today to know that Satan is at work in the world in which we live, whether it be physical or sexual abuse taking place, attack on our families, tragedies of all kinds, even illnesses, and certainly the shootings in Walmarts, malls, and at schools. God is not the author of these. We can know that there is an evil force that's present in the world today. And as Christ followers, we're bewildered at this. We're even angered perhaps with a righteous indignation. In fact, Jesus sometimes had the same kinds of anger or righteous anger or similar anger sometimes on occasion. Well, what are we to do? Well... 
Believers in the Lord Jesus, stay calm. Know that God has a plan and be the salt and light that God intended. If God has a plan, who are we to question God? Does this mean that we should never go to God and ask why when life seems unfair? To the contrary, He should be the very first one that you go to. In fact, we should spend more time praying to God than we should be complaining uh, maybe to other people as well because when we take our questions to God rather than our complaints to God, if we're taking our questions to God, we ought to be able to trust Him and His plan and know and be ready to follow God in whatever He is doing, submit ourselves to Him. So we know that God has a plan, but also we know that another unfailing truth is that God has a purpose. God has a purpose. Now, sometimes we use those words and we say God has a plan and a purpose, and sometimes we often use those maybe even as synonyms, but We'll talk about particularly that God has a purpose and maybe a particular specific something in mind. Moses was standing before Pharaoh and he told him what God said in verse 17. He says, For the scripture says to Pharaoh, and about Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Now, God did not enjoy watching his people suffer. We know that because when Moses was talking to God through the burning bush, he said, I've seen their affliction. God says, I've seen their affliction. I've heard their cry. I know their sorrow. God did not enjoy watching his people suffer, nor does he enjoy watching it today. Well, then we might ask, well, why does he allow it? And I believe this is what Paul seeking to answer the questions that we might have, questions that his readers had in that day. And the key found is in verse 17 that we just read a moment ago because sometimes, even through this, God's power is revealed and His name is to be proclaimed. On several occasions, I've shared uh, perhaps the good news about Jesus with someone and shared the gospel, and their reaction is, how can I believe in a God who allows so much injustice and suffering in the world? I tell them right away, well, I don't know, I don't have all the answers, but it is because of all the injustice and suffering that I have to believe in a God that I know will make all things right. I propose to you that one of the reasons that God allowed the Israelites to suffer in Egypt as slaves, and one reason that God allows suffering today is because God wants all people to believe in Him. Twenty times in Exodus, it talks about Pharaoh's heart being hardened. The first ten of those, it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Then it says or implies that God hardened his heart. Why do you think God sent ten plagues on Egypt and not just one big plague to take care of Egypt and let his people go? Maybe more than one reason, but one reason we already know so that God's glory and power would be revealed. But I believe that God wanted to change Pharaoh's heart. God wanted to save Pharaoh. God wanted to save Egypt just as he wants to save people today. He was patient. It is said that the same sun that hardens the clay melts the butter. Remember the question of the college student that used to come to my office and it's on more than one occasion that we discussed it. He said, did God harden Pharaoh's heart? The answer is Yes. The same God, the same God's action, while it melts and changes the hearts of some, others, it only hardens. 
In the New Testament, the same thing was said about Jesus as the foundation stone for some and the same stone as the stumbling stone for others. God's purpose is and has always been that all might know Him because Jesus is the light of the world. If Jesus is the light of the world, you might remember His purpose. He said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. It continues to be His purpose. So God has a plan and God has a purpose. Well, another foundational truth is that God has a prophecy. God has a prophecy. The original debate in this chapter was about Israel being chosen and not other nations and what that means. Verse 14 says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? The answer is by no means. God is not unjust for it was prophesied of Israel's purpose long ago. Look at verse 25. I think we, we read verses 20 through 26 a moment ago. In verse 25 he speaks and he says in Hosea, quoting from Hosea, Those who were not my people I will call my people. So God's purpose long ago, even through Israel, so that all might know God, all might know Him. Well, here's the prophecy part, or part of the prophecy about Israel. We read through verse 26. Verse 27 says, Romans chapter 9, And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be as sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. See, Paul's quoting Isaiah. When Isaiah talks about that, He's talking about particularly about the destruction of Israel that is going to take place because of their unfaithfulness. He said they're going to be destroyed physically. They're going to be almost wiped out, but there will be a remnant that will be left in the history of what happened in Israel. And that took place really on more than one occasion that a remnant would be left. So here Paul takes that same prophecy and he makes the application to spiritual salvation that only a remnant of Israel will be saved spiritually. And then in verses 28 and 29 of Romans chapter 9, it says this, For the Lord will carry out a sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts has not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Had God not intervened, Israel would have been wiped off the face of the earth like Sodom and Gomorrah. Let's do a little more Bible study. Paul describes in these verses two kinds of people. In verse 22 that we read a moment ago, he said that there are those who are the objects of wrath. Let's conclude as he talks those who are the objects of wrath that these must be those who are lost. If they do not turn to Christ, they remain objects of wrath. Then in verse 23, he talks to the kind of people that will be objects of mercy. Well, who are those? Those are believers in the Lord Jesus, those who are saved. Those of you who have given your heart and life to Christ. Now, I believe that for the most part, you know who you are. You are an object of wrath or you are an object of mercy. Not depending on how good we are, but depending on His grace and the faith that we've placed in Him and if we have repented of our sins. But notice, God is patient, the Scripture speaks of, of those who are objects of wrath so that they might turn to Him. But here's the prophetic part. He says that they are preparing themselves for destruction. In other words, the very lives as they remain in sin, as those who reject Christ, they're preparing themselves for destructions. God is not doing this, but it doesn't have to stay that way. So if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, by your very lives you're preparing. It's a prophetic thing, what's going to happen in the future, headed for destruction. But 
because of Christ, it doesn't have to be that way. That we can get on the road that leads to Him. That we can give our heart and lives to Him as well. But notice, if God was patient with the objects of wrath, the lost, with the objects of mercy, mentioned in verse 23, He is preparing them, He's preparing us for glory. Making some of the riches of His glory known now so that we might be prepared to experience His glory in the future. To His children belong the riches of His glory. Now, that's not the riches of this world, you understand. And it's much better than anything that we could have ever imagined. And these are the things that the Lord is preparing us for so that we might be able to enjoy the glory of the prophetic time in the future. But even now, we're able to partake some of the riches of His glory by participating in God's work while we're here on this earth. So, what are the things we know about God? God has a plan. God has a purpose. God has a prophecy. All these truths we can be sure of no matter what. But also, God has a proclamation. God has a proclamation. He has a message that will be proclaimed no matter what. Most of the time, He desires that that message be told through His children. Today, as we talk about His children, His nation, His church, those uh, He wants to proclaim that message through us. But sometimes, He uses unlikely people like even Pharaoh of, the, of Egypt. Read again verse 17. This time as we read verse 17, read it. Forget that it was said to Pharaoh, could it be said of you, even you who are believers in the Lord Jesus? For this very purpose I have raised you up, place your name there, that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Why? What is the helping us to understand that God's message wants to be proclaimed and wants to be proclaimed through you. The message is proclaimed in many places throughout the Bible. Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 and 6 says this, After this I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Alleluia! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Alleluia! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Now, as you look at this, who's saying this? Is it the talkers, the singers, or the shouters? It's the shouters. They're shouting, Alleluia, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. That is the message. God rules and He wants to rule in your life. There's nothing that we can do to deserve His mercy, compassion, and grace let us never forget. I even think I've got a picture there that may talk about the roaring. Let's see if we've got it. Oh, we did have something like that. Great as well. Uh, Forbes magazine had one time a little cartoon there. and There was an elderly gentleman sitting in a nice plush chair and beautiful surroundings that you could tell was a person of wealth. And there in a, another chair, just as large, but a little girl sitting across there He's explaining to the little girl, maybe his granddaughter, of how he received his wealth, how he got so wealthy. And he said, well, here's what I did. He said, he said I, had, I took one penny and I went and bought a pencil. I sharpened it and I sold it for two cents. Then I took and bought two pencils. I went and sharpened those and I sold them for four cents. On and on and on it went until I had $10 and 24 cents. 
And then it was about that time that your great aunt Sadie died and left me $10 million. <laughs> Ford's Magazine probably had no idea that in that little uh, cartoon that they were given a spiritual truth. Because sometimes we give our testimony. We say, oh, I walked the aisle and I was baptized and I joined the church and I started to give to the church and I do this and I do that. And then, oh, yeah, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, died on the cross in my place and rose again the third day so that I might be able to have life. Amen. Let us never forget what God has done for us. Let's not forget the particular proclamation. You see, before we can understand ourselves and why we're made like we are, we have to understand some truths about God. He created us and gives us life and eternal life, none through our own doing, but a part of His plan, His purpose, His prophecy, and His proclamation. Now we're ready to learn something about us. Four unfailing truths and directives about you. You're made like you are so that you might serve God. This passage tells us that He is the Creator and we are the clay. He molds us and makes us into whatever He sees fit so that we might be a usable vessel. Now we can fight against it. Our sins make us sometimes less fit for us and for use than we need to be. But the picture is God is the potter and He continues to be at work and prepare the vessel. Your job is to submit to the potter's hand so that you might be the kind of servant He wants you to be. And God has put His unique stamp on each life. Every vessel is different with different gifts and abilities and talents so that we might be able to find our place among His nation, find our place among His church, ready to serve each in our own spot. Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, both are passages that talk about the, us all being the same body of Christ, but different parts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 18 says, But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. Also, you are to continually search the Scripture to find out more about God Himself. Second truth, the directive, you are to continually search the Scripture to find out more about God Himself. Paul writes this important chapter and declares this theology basic to our beliefs. Well, where did he get it? Well, we believe he is inspired by God in order to write this, what is God's Word for us. But also, we find that he was a student of the Bible. He was a student of the Old Testament. He had many, about half the verses or more of what we read today were from other scriptures. They're from what is written in the Old Testament. While this text does not specifically say read your Bible, be in the Word, many parts, other parts of the Bible do, but this we learn by example. If we want to know about ourselves, we must know more about God. If we want to know more about God, we must be in the Word. We must read it and study and understand it. And read it until we understand it. Now, I've been in vocational ministry now for almost 40 years. I know I don't look that old, but I was born at a really early age. If you didn't laugh at that and you didn't do enough, I'm going to use that in the second service. But about 40 years, something has changed in the last 40 years. I can no longer stand before in a Bible study, a worship service, or any group, regardless of age, and assume that everybody knows what I talk about when I refer to a particular passage or a particular story that's found in the Bible. Because we don't know our Bible like, maybe like we used to, or like we could assume that people do. I can't assume that everybody knows about Moses in the ark or David in the lion's den. We've got to be sure to explain some of those things, and not everybody even got that, but that's okay. We've got, 
we got to be sure that people understand the significance of each passage, where its places in history and the details of those if we want them to be able to stand the application of what we're talking about in some of these and those things that are important. Well, one of the reasons we need to stay in the Scripture is because of what it teaches us about God and these four unfailing truths. He has a plan and a purpose, prophecy, and that as a proclamation. But also... Because the Bible is history. I mean, it's real history. And it's His story. There's a past, present, and a future. Jesus is the central character, but you, you're in it. You're in His story. Along with Abraham and Moses and Jonah and Peter and Paul and everybody else that's mentioned, you're in it. You may not be specifically mentioned by name, but almost. Even here in verses 25 and 26, you're mentioned here because it says you're my people, you're the beloved, you're sons and children of the living God. So if we want to know why God made you like you and want you to find your place, you'll never know unless you keep coming back to the Bible, to His story, and asking these two questions. What does it teach me about my Lord and Savior And where do I fit in to all that's taking place? Because it's history, it's his story, and it is to continue. But also, why are we like we are? Well, you're to worship the sovereignty of God. The four unfailing truths, third one is this, when you are to worship the sovereignty of God, even if you do not fully comprehend God's amazing grace. Let's admit that we do not fully comprehend all that there is to know about God. What we know about Him is only a fraction of what it is to know. We know enough, though, through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to know that we can have a relationship with Him. But what we do know should lead us to worship Him. He is sovereign. He's in charge and He's in control and He's God all by Himself. His sovereignty described again in verse 15. I'll have mercy upon whom I have mercy. I have compassion on whom I have compassion. Thus the psalmist declared, What is man that thou art mindful of him? To worship God means to focus our attention and our thanksgiving and our hearts toward him. We're to do that publicly. We're to do that privately. And even our everyday task and those things that we're carrying out should be an act of worship for him. So this text is primarily about the sovereignty of God. And so as we talk about the sovereignty of God, we ask the so what question. What difference should that make? It should lead us to worship. Then finally, we have another unfailing truth about you or a directive. You're to be involved in the salvation of others. You're to be involved in the salvation of others. Look again, Paul quotes from Hosea, verse 26, in the very place where it was said to them, You're not my people, there they will be called the sons of the living God. Meaning that this is an evangelistic passage. God's choice of tools is His church to proclaim His message to a lost world. So let me ask you, are are you involved in the salvation of others? Well, let me help you out. Do you give to the church? If you give to the church, you're involved in the salvation of others. You ever worked in vacation Bible school? Ever gone to, worked in a camp or maybe a fall festival or been involved in children's ministry or youth ministry? Ever worked in the nursery? Ever invited somebody to church? Have you ever been 
on the image team or a greeter at church, passed out bulletins, welcomed people or said that you're glad that they're here. Ever been or given or been involved in missions? How about on a ministry team? Ever given a Bible to somebody? Ever shared a testimony? Well, I know that many of you have. And I'm pretty sure that if you're not involved in any way, these or others, God wants you to be involved in the salvation of others. And if you are and you have been involved, He wants you to continue to find more ways to be involved or to be more personally involved in sharing the gospel and building relationships to bring people to Christ. We mentioned it last week. We'll not mention it every probably week time we get together, but our, one of our emphasis this year is about who's your one. So we encourage you to continue to be involved in finding somebody that you does, who does not know Christ so that you might be able to share, lead them into the saving knowledge of who Christ is. Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10 says this, and they sang a new song. This time they are singing. Here are the choir folks. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Did you notice it said that there will be people purchased with the blood of Christ from every tribe, language, people, and nation. It's the future of what happens in heaven as we follow God and discover why we are like we are. It's also not just the future, but it's to what is to take place today, that even now we gather together as one nation from every tribe, language, and people group around the world and bring praise and seek to serve Him. But you are like you are to take part in God's grand design. You want to see how big God is? You want to see how big the world and the universe is? You want to see how big history is? And know that God made you like you are. God is so big that He cares about even us. That He cares about us, has a plan for us, walks with us, wants to be able to use us in His grand design. Will you do this? Come to grips that you are the way you are. Now, I'm not talking about the sinful parts, but the personality and your gifts and your unique ways are a part of God's grand design. Let God have control and trust Him. Thank Him for who you are as a born-again child of God and who you are in Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, we encourage you today to be the day that you ask Christ to come in. Ask Him to be your Savior and Lord because He'll give you eternal life. But not only that, you'll discover why you are the way you are, so that God might be able to use you in His kingdom for His purposes. Let's bow together. Father, we thank You for today's opportunity to come and be in Your house, be among God's people, and to hear from Your Word. We pray, Father, and thank You so much for God's grand design that included Jesus Christ leaving the throne room of heaven and coming to live amongst us and dying on the cross and rising again. It also included the fact that we are able to be a part of God's kingdom purposes. Thank you for making us the way we are. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to be used by a loving and righteous God. We pray, Father, if there's one here that does not know you as Lord and Savior, that today might be the day of salvation. Continue to open our minds and our hearts to what God's Word says so that we might be able to know more. 
It's in the precious name of the Lord Jesus we lift these prayers. Amen. Just a moment, we're going to have our song of response. If the Lord is leading you to make a decision today, our pastors are down front and myself. We love to talk with you. If the Lord's leading you to make a decision for the Lord Jesus, come for baptism. If you want to come and join this church, this is the way we do it. We have an altar call. It's maybe not the only way to join, but we encourage you to come and make this the way in which you come and let us know that you want to be part of God's family. If you want to pray with one of us or pray at our altar, you certainly can do so. We invite you to come. Would you please stand? We sing together, you come.